0: This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. There's one way that I think
1: um, this thesis presses against the way that a lot of Christians and preachers talk about God's work for sinners. And that Luther in the explanation says, therefore sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. And the thing that makes me think of is how often we say, you're a sinner, but God loves you anyways, or God loves you just as you are. Um, And that that always seems to me to be a dangerous half-truth, or a, a sort of... Bungling of the truth, but um, what do you think about that? So,
0: so uh, expand on what you're asking us to uh, respond to. Yeah, it's one more time.
1: God does not affirm us as sinners. He does not love us because we, um, as we exist as sinners, but because He recreates us in Christ. Um, That's how I would read this, at least. Um, Whereas often we, when we Preach and talk to others. We are hesitant, and we want to um, sort of affirm the whole person and their work altogether, um, rather than saying, "No, you're, the work is is garbage, but God is God has made you anew, and that's where you know that's what His love does."
2: Yeah. it's interesting when you think about um, love is a can be construed as an emotional term, but it's not an to say, you're a mess, mm-hmm. and Jesus justifies the ungodly. Because mm-hmm. that's a different metaphor. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm taking it out of emotional language, I put it in legal language. Or <clears throat> conversely, uh, Ephesians 2 language, right? While you were dead, God made you alive. Death and life are a no- different kind of metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're right because Culturally, we receive the language of emotion, love. It doesn't have to be, but it's often perceived that way. Uh, we can verge on half-truths mm. when we just mean, God loves you just as you are. No, 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 his love actually changes who you are. Right. Is what you're saying and what Luther is saying. Uh, but I think it that's where we need the other metaphors to balance out the emotion language. We need to say God loves you, but we also need to use the legal metaphors and the life metaphors to give context to what love looks like. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say.
1: Yeah, and maybe what I was trying to get at was just another way of saying that you can't give someone the gospel without the law. That's true. Yeah, of maybe that. Maybe that's just what I was trying to say.
0: I think that's what you were trying to say. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, so, you know, i
3: to really trace both of them. I mean, because i have use God loves you anyway. that's helpful. Because as soon as God loves you, Anyway, like precisely what brought out the anyway as a qualifier mm-hmm. is then loved, declared, um, to use legal language, into something other than what it was. So that's it's, right. It's it is a half truth. It's a half truth that so, somewhere we have to move it forward. Yeah. To say that as God loves you anyway, say in the midst of a great moral failure or whatever other things you want to call it. Uh, he does love you anyway. And then, as soon as he does, he loves you out of that into something else. Yeah. But then it proceeds the law. I still want to go back to your friend. I
1: mean, we, we've been joking a lot about how, in our human conversations, anytime says something, you know, something, 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 but, like the law is coming afterwards. It's it's you know the gospel says it the other way around. Mm-hmm. You are sinners, but God loves you. You know yes. that's that's that sort of Romans three twenty one to twenty six. Uh, it's great to but do. But now, Bible. but now, yeah. Yeah, the righteousness from God has been revealed apart
2: from the law. Yeah, exactly.
1: Oh, Romans three twenty
2: one. So good. Hmm. 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 Delicious. I I heard a whole sermon on but now. About our mm. and it examined every other world system, every other world religion, every other um, human basis of earning. Mm. But now, uh, I think TD Jakes goes there a little bit. But God, get in the butt of God. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the sermon I heard. <laughs> yeah, but it worked.
1: You know, I think it, I think it was Carl Bart in his Romans commentary, which you know basically gets at. Christianity is sort of based on the word, nevertheless, <laughs> like that. That is sort of the structure of the gospel. It's it's the but or the nevertheless or and yet God has done this for you, anyways, um, not because of you, but because of His love for you in Jesus Christ. I mean,
3: yeah. So it's somewhere, probably more tomorrow. we get to Galatians. Mm-hmm. The difference between what you might call capital L law little l law. And the law, in human laws, is the law of being pretty or being a member of something or other, like friends. Can that accomplish the work of preparation for the gospel? You know, it's being overstressed, all that sort of stuff. And I'd love that to be a part of our conversation. We've put that on the doctor for the week.
1: Yeah, make sure try try to remember to bring that up if I don't, because I think that's a really interesting question because. Um, we do have a number I'm you know like I've probably heard of the website Mockingbird and like I know a lot of those guys and I'm basically a fan of what most of what happens there but I always wonder about the relationship between big L and little l law um, because for Luther and in our confessions law is just something that curses anything that is outside of Christ like that's that's the job of the law and I don't always know how that traces from that big L to the little L and saying that this is doing the, you know.
3: do the same preparatory work. Yeah. As and as a yeah. therapist, as a counselor, you know, uh, it's an important question for me. Most of the time I don't feel like I need to add more law to mm. somebody's life. Yeah. Coming, even if they haven't broken the, Eight. you know, the uh-huh. third commandment or something like that. So it's, it's got pastoral import for me. Mm-hmm. I guess that's why what you were saying earlier doesn't bother me that much. That
1: God loves you, uh, you mm-hmm. know, as you are, not as you should be. Mm. Like to me, that has everything in it. Mm. It has
3: the law in it because the law is telling us what we should be. So that anyway carries the word of the law, but God loves you. in love the gospel, right? I think what we, what you're on to
4: though is is pretty significant, like not affirming people where they're because like there's this movement in my town in Wilmington and this church is like putting up signs all over the, the, the roads. And one of the signs they have is it's just everyone has a story and we really want to hear yours. And, and like my wife has this shirt too that says everyone has a story. And when she first got it, like six months ago, I was right in the middle of reading Something in Michael Michael Horton's uh, systematic, which basically says the total opulence, well, it affirms. Yeah, everybody has a story, and it sucks. Mm. And God take God takes it, crumples it up, throws it in the trash, and gives you the story of Jesus, mm. and says, "This is your life."
0: So your wife walks in with that T-shirt. Oh yeah, and then I said, I was like,
4: uh, "Yeah, we do have stories, but." I don't know. Mine sucks. I just tried to put it in the me, and she was like, ah, "You're such a downer." That's kind of what she said. But, but, yeah, but, everybody's <laughs> got a story.
0: But, <laughs> <laughs> God.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so true. That's so true, man. So true. Anyway, I mean, you were just finding a lot of yourself. Right?
4: Yeah, yeah, and it's,
2: it's like, well, this oh, thing yeah, with the church
4: and this little oh, church in my town. It's basically what they're doing to get people to come in is basically affirm who you are and what you've done and now let's incorporate that into your history and all your experience and, you know, let's hear your testimony, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know, that's very difficult to, uh, you know, Always, to deny somebody's personhood—that's basically what's going on. Yeah. yeah.
1: There, you do wonder if you can sort of think in terms of a uh, distinction between a person and their and work. Um, you can't ultimately make that distinction because it is the person who has to be saved, but the person has to be killed. So that's called,
3: you know, what is it? love, hate the sin, love the sinner.
1: Yeah, there's which right I feel right like right it always ends up—you're still in the TV sinner. Here, there's no
3: difference. Yeah. Well, if you hate my sin, you're hating me. That's yeah. how it feels.
1: You're always just on the verge of only condemning yeah. people.
3: Yeah,
1: um, I feel like we're we're starting to develop a theology of the butt of the law and the butt of the gospel, and this is getting like in terms of just speech patterns. Blog posts. Yeah, you know, it, it sounds terrible when you say it, though. <laughs> Maybe it reads better. Um, t- to kind of tie all these things together. One thing that we have to remember when we look at all this, which can be really heady and thick, um, is that this is still not disconnected from the fact that for Luther, what makes one a theologian of the cross is experience. It is, um, you know, it's the experience of Tentatio, which teaches you to hold only to the word and to deny the good works and to deny the will and all of this. Um, the Lutheran theologian, Timothy Winger, tells this story. Um, he, wrote, he wrote an article about the, the theology of the cross um, and how it functions with regard to suffering because his wife died. Um, but he, t- he told this story about how he went to check his mail and he had received a denominational magazine. You know, we all, all denominations have their magazines. And it had on the cover, 10 ways um, to improve your prayer life. You know, just like Cosmo would tell you six ways to satisfy your husband or something like that. Ideally. Um, yeah. <laughs> and But he, he said he took it in there and he showed it to his wife, and she said, I can tell you how to improve your prayer life. Get cancer.
3: That's simple.
1: <laughs> I, I thought that was um, a really sort of insightful thing to say is that your life and people's real lives will um, destroy your religiosity mm-hmm. like that sort of experience um, See, that's where I'm good. coming in
3: I said typically in my role in my counseling office rarely do I feel the need to add laws in my life because mm-hmm. they come to a counselor they come to church ultimately yeah. at some conscious to unconscious level aware of need yeah Cancer, divorce, brokenness—you know, whether directly or indirectly, somebody I love. Well, the very reason they come to a concert is supposed to be because I've arrived at the end of myself and I need somebody else to help me. You yeah. yeah. know, like, I've got so much joy in my life, I just need to order. Myself. Right,
4: right. Yeah. right. So Guide great me,
0: that. Or about great concert.
1: I'm always worried though when I meet—you know—I meet people in church who just have no real sense of um, personal failure. Or a pervasiveness of sin in their lives, and I always think, man, like I, I, my sins are most of them are just right there before me, and I and I know it, and I I have this sort of pervasive sense of anxiety or whatever. So I, it just never makes sense to me. Yeah, how how can people, um, you know, be so blind to those things? But a lot of people are. But even then, applying the the law to them is not a simple task. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I
3: actually, for a lot of Heidelberg in my work, say a little bit, the, I, I say the phrase probably six times a day, let's call a thing what it is, let's call a spade spade, and just that process needs my hands a lot for that kind of person, you know, what's going on actually, Yeah. what's truly true, mm-hmm. and then that the law begins to be known without a whole lot of pushing on my part. Mm-hmm need, brokenness, fracture, separation, alienation, dislocate, all those words just start dripping off. Yeah. Generally. Not always, but generally.
0: Y'all you know, in Psalm one nineteen that we were discussing yesterday and the, the idea of tentatio, it says in seventy one, Psalm one nineteen, seventy one, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Mm-hmm. And, and I wrote the word to over that, because mm-hmm. that's really kind of what, what we're really discussing mm-hmm. yeah. there. Nice call. It's good. Act of the psalm. Seventy, what verse? Seventy-one. Here's one, nineteen, seventy-one. That yep. The word that's afflicted, I'm not sure what the Hebrew is on that, I didn't okay. look it up, but...
1: I wrote Tentatio over it. I mean, okay, this is sort of just driving things down to their basics. Uh, Be curious to just hear in your own words, or, you know, borrowed words, it doesn't matter. If someone comes up to you and says, I've heard about this idea of being a theologian of the cross, what does that look like? (laughs) Um, What does a theologian of the cross sound like? Um, How how would you describe that?
0: Well, I I think we presume a little bit when we use the word theologian. When a lot of people would see a theologian as a negative in a negative light, Mm -hmm. and I, I, I would just say that. We need in here need to discuss a little bit about what is why is being a theologian something that the world would want to be anyway. And then
3: theos walk off the word of God. Yeah, theolog.
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah. I understand. But and I guess one thing we'd have to say there is it's a good question. Yeah, maybe maybe the answer there is that from our point of view. People don't have a choice on whether they're going to be a theologian or not. You just are one.
3: Yeah, that's right. You come up with, a, who said, new persuasive words? Paul's all Thornton Wilder. Borrowed that from Thornton Wilder, saying we need to have, maybe, maybe we need to have new persuasive words and have a new word for
0: the same meaning of theologian. Um, but to be a theologian, To answer your question, Mm. I think to be a theologian is those three things we talked about yesterday, Mm. all three of those. You have to be a prayer, you have to be somebody that meditates on the Word of God, Mm. and it comes out of what we just said, the affliction of the soul, the affliction of the man, the experience of the man. That's what a theologian, that's how you become one, Mm. all three, not just one, all three.
1: All right
0: that's what I would say I think it's a good question
3: I think I would highlight the passive position to be my starting point say the theologian of the cross recognizes as he calls the thing what it is that we're always in the passive position and that grammar matters and you can turn the construction of a sentence to where if we're the object and not the subject you're moving towards being a theologian of the cross. Hmm. Hmm. They act upon yeah. the
1: earth. It's a good question. It, it it's kind of hard to boil down into a short descriptive philosophy. Um, I mean, if, if I were taking a stab at it, I, you know, I might say that you know, to be a theologian of the cross is to be one. Who understands that God has revealed Himself in precisely the place where we wouldn't have looked for Him, and that His revelation has done precisely the things that we didn't, couldn't have wanted, or couldn't have understood that we even needed? Um, I, so I, I guess I would I would want to get to an answer that's always showing how the gospel subverts. Um,
4: I've had to <clears throat> have some friends that I hang out with every, every uh, Sunday after church and, we're all, and our service can typically more often than not take on a very theology of glory type of liturgy and just the way we speak and there's the song selection and all this and so we typically have a lot of conversations about that afterwards and uh, the, one, the one thing I've seen or that I've talked about with them is when it comes to the theology of the cross is just it seems almost—it seems presumptuous to talk about God and His glory and to sing about His greatness and His majesty and everything if we're not doing that in the context of the cross mm. and like the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Like that's where the focus needs to be. Yeah. And anytime mm. we get away from that, I feel like it's like whoa, we're we're walking into the realm of God as a consuming fire right now. Sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> and He is going to, you know. And so it's it's kind of like for me it's it's hand in hand calling a thing what it is and I've noticed this too and a lot of times it'll be like people say uh, we don't do that in our house you know like somebody said this recently like they're talking about taking the name of the Lord in vain and they're like we don't do that in our house and the first thing that came to my mind was like that's like a theology of glory because you probably do do that in your house so the grammar is wrong. And it probably should sound something like, man, we we do this in our house. We ought not to, but unfortunately we do. Thank God for the cross. You know, it's kind of like, kind of comes full circle there. And I don't know. So to me, I guess I would say in calling the thing what it is, we should be humbled before the cross. And so that is how the theology of the cross would come across and talk and never be getting away from that without having the cross influence everything we think and say and do.
1: in sort of saying the theologian of the cross is somebody that understands that he or she has nothing to bring before God oh, yeah. um, but that God brings everything to you in the cross yes there you go yeah.
4: in the cross yeah. I think that's so <laughs> crucial you know mm-hmm. unintended uh, yeah <laughs> crucial <laughs>
2: yeah uh, that's bad uh, I mean I'll go back to what I said yesterday and I think when I would try to explicate theology of the cross mm-hmm. one of the things I would have to show is how everybody we use the term broken mm-hmm uh, I mean, I actually don't like that term because if something's broken, then the chief thing you try to do with it is fix it. And that's not what justification yeah. does. It declares the sinner righteous. Yeah. Uh, and so I've tried to stay with like war imagery and saying, you're a rebel and you hate God. Mm-hmm. And you don't know how much you hate God. And so let me try to show you how much you hate God. That's what makes the cross good news. Um, because broken has a therapeutic tinge to it, and we live in a therapeutic culture. And only people who know they're broken will be attracted to the cross. However, I'm dealing with a lot of Pharisaical types, and they're broken too. Uh, but they don't—they have, have put together lives. So that's why I've—I need to stick with Luther's metaphor. You know, your good works are damned. Mm-hmm. Um, we got we got to show you how they're damned and how they're self-centered and, and centered on a theology of glory.
1: And that's that's a really good point to bring up the language of brokenness because that is so pervasive now, but think about the way we use it is that brokenness becomes this sort of badge of honor right. that i've I've realized it, and then it quickly just becomes another area for self-righteousness broken (laughs) broken and beautiful yeah yeah exactly oh yeah Um. it's the
0: politician on the tv screen that's caught and he's so sorry he's broken Mm. give me a break you know i mean how many times do we have to hear that Mm. in the world and it's just not the case they're not broken Mm. probably a lot more or
2: they, there's a truth to brokenness but it doesn't get to the heart of the matter, which is we are rebels. Yeah. And we have taken up enemy arms against God. The hmm. well, hard word, you know, the group of 22 of brokenness, the
3: theology of the cross takes what's broken and goes the whole way and kills it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> doesn't fix it. <laughs> and then you have recreation of the cross. Right. You know, which we talked about, which I think is this great, great thought.
1: No, I mean, sort of as a closing thing, one thing that we have to remember, too, is that we are not just theologians of the cross. Um, That is the kind of thing that we we want to be and we will strive to always hold forth this picture of the cross before us, which kills us and destroys our religious aspirations and our self-righteousness, but we are always also the old person. So we will always find ways to prop up our theologies of glory. Um, so I know this one person who, I won't say it's he or she, in a, in, a, in a bio online called him or herself 100% a theologian of the cross. And I just thought that's, a, that's, a, that's just like an obvious sign that you are not one. Because you can even start to place your trust and the fact that, oh, I'm I'm starting to see the world right. Everything can always become another trap.
0: These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.